I wonder if you would turn with me back to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, page 811. And our text this morning is verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me read again from verse 8. I'm sure you've not forgotten it, but it does us good to hear it, doesn't it? Jesus says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What kind of a father... Do you think God the Father would turn out to be if he was left alone in the kitchen with four hungry children to feed? It's always a revealing moment, isn't it, when dad is left to cook and care and provide. Some of us reach straight for the baked beans and the ice cream tub, and while you more enlightened modern men might scorn those dads for it, sometimes they can be the very best sort of fathers you know that when he is in charge, there will always be a treat, something extravagant and outrageous. But could you trust him to actually care for his children longer than a day? You can't live on that diet forever, can you? Then before I get the emails from the gender stereotype brigade, there are those of us on the other extreme, as deeply committed to a diet of kale and quinoa as every Edinburgh man should be, very nutritious, but their idea of generosity is risking a sugary banana for pudding once a week if you've eaten all your avocado. <laughs> and finally, there are those of us who see every stereotype coming and we raise it double. We've got one dish nailed, but it uses every ingredient in the fridge and every pan in the cupboard. And as we cook it, we are the biggest prima donnas going. And then we retire in triumph and exhaustion, leaving the kitchen like Nagasaki the morning after. Lots of drama over delivery, but no real competence. Well, we've seen already, haven't we, that how we think about God as our Father is going to radically shape how we relate to him, how we pray to him. And so the basic question today is this, can we trust him to take care of his family? What sort of a father is he? Generous? Sensible? stingy, or full of talk about his provision, but lacking in competence to actually provide it. Well, we're four petitions now into the Lord's Prayer, and only this morning does Jesus come to our needs, but he does come to them. If we're going to live for our loving Father, to hallow his name and seek his kingdom and honor his will above everything else, then we need strength to do it. And God cares about our bodies, not just about spiritual things. So this morning, we're asking him to give us the basic things our bodies need to live well for his name today. Bread means more than the stuff we cover in Marmite. Bread stands for all the basic bodily needs of human life in God's world. It's a staple so when we pray for our daily bread, we're praying for a roof over our heads, 
clothes for our body, rest for our bones, a fire to cheer up our families and keep us warm. Martin Luther thought that this was the moment in the Lord's Prayer when we pray for those in authority. Our rulers would be better off, he said, if they decorated their coats of arms with loaves instead of lions. Daily bread, because that's their job, it's to look after the welfare of their people. And so we should pray as Christians that they do that well. It's a big, expansive prayer, this one. We're praying for those who manage the economy and support our farmers and respond to disasters and push the sick around hospital trolleys. For all the basic needs our bodies require so that we can spend our lives well for our Heavenly Father. And as we ask him to provide all of that for us, this one little line of prayer teaches us something wonderful about the attitude we're to have. Jesus is teaching us to recognize two things this morning. Grace for what we cannot grab and trust for what we cannot hoard. First and very obvious, but absolutely key, asking God to give us something in love puts us firmly in the realm of grace. This is about grace for what we cannot grab. I wonder if you remember the last time you said to another human being, anything as direct as, please, I need you to give me something. It's actually very rare that we do that, isn't it? Perhaps you've had to go asking a parent for money or a boss for special time off work. Far more often the conversation goes, could you do me a favor and lend me Swap me. I'll pay you back. I'll get you next time. Asking for a gift is actually quite uncomfortable, isn't it? By definition, it's something we can't demand. We don't have the right to it. We haven't earned it. It's entirely down to the free generosity of the giver. It is very rare that we go asking gifts of one another. And yet Jesus teaches us to talk to our Father like that every single day. And here's a surprise. Where to ask God to give us the one thing that most of us take completely for granted? Our daily bread. The thing we most instinctively believe that we've earned through our own hard work. But Jesus says, no, neither your work nor your worry put that food on the table. It is God's gift. And the reason for that is that no matter how hard we've worked or how much we've worried, we can never deserve a single thing from him. The blessings of life in God's world are a forfeited right, something we've lost any claim to when we denied his rule over us. When mankind turned away from our creator, the ground itself was cursed because of us. All of the good things that God made us to enjoy became cursed to us in judgment so that no matter how much sweat we pour from our brows, a full belly is not a human right. It's a fatherly providence, something he gives us now in kindness and generous love. 
whether we are rich and we take it for granted or we are poor and all too conscious of it, we depend on God's grace for every bite, every breath, every beat of our heart. And even the littlest things he gives us are gestures of his love. If you're running away from him right now, then every meal he gives you to enjoy is another declaration of his mercy and an offer of forgiveness, common grace. And if you belong to him and you've been brought into his family by grace, then every cup of warm coffee he puts in your hands is one more poem in praise of his extravagance, adopting care, James tells us that God the Father is the source of everything good in this world, and he hasn't been stingy with it, has he? God gives us ice cream. (laughs) We're living, most of us, in gratuitous luxury. I was listening to another pastor talk recently about our modern take on privilege, and it really stuck with me what he said. There's no question that if you're in this room you have more of that privilege than barely any other human being alive. Not least because you have a chance week after week to hear and respond to the gospel. You have a lot of privilege to check if you're sitting here. And the world often implies that we should feel guilty about that, doesn't it? The Bible, though, has a more old-fashioned word for privilege. The Bible calls it blessing. The good things God gives to us certainly ought to humble us, but never make us guilty if we've received them with thanks. Grace isn't there to make us guilty. We are living in gratuitous, undeserved luxury, and God the Father says, enjoy it, children. I made it all for you. Generosity is part and parcel of true fatherhood. A father's role is to provide, to bring home the good stuff for his children. And God loves to do it. But we at least have to acknowledge that it comes from him and not from us. The first thing Jesus is teaching us then is to recognize our dependence on God's grace. Human beings are not self-sufficient, and we never will be. We are inherently unsustainable as creatures. We need to be sustained by a father's love. It is simply how he has set up the system to work. Now, our default way of looking at the system that is this world is to see it as a very mechanistic thing. Nature is a complex, robotic, biological system. So you put a seed in the ground in the right conditions, and it grows. You put food in a child's tummy in the right conditions, and it does them good. And if you believe in God, then day to day, you think of him as standing fairly remote to those processes. He sets up the system like an extremely complex piece of clockwork, and now he's just sitting back and letting it do its thing. But that way of looking at this world is completely atheistic, Another way of thinking, that is not who God is. And as James Packer points out, once human beings start to think like that, then before long we forget there's even a God behind it all. Even God's good gifts 
have no power in themselves to do us any good. It's him who does us good through whatever it is he uses. So no matter how well we steward our wealth or how far our technology progresses or how high we build our Babel, God's creatures will never be self-sufficient. We will always depend on him. It's a little bit like when you let the kids help you to build a wardrobe or do the dishes or something like that. They think they're doing it all by themselves, don't they? But the reality is you are carrying all the weight, and if you let go, the whole thing topples. There'll be dishes broken all over the floor. We need our Father constantly. And that's not to say that our work isn't valuable. It's the ordinary means that God uses to provide for us. We want to work hard. We want to be wise with what we have. Human beings are made for that. It's dignified. God calls us to hard work. We don't want to deny that. But the point for us is to remember that even when we've worked hard and done well in life, everything we've ever received has been his gift, not earned. Grace for what we cannot grab. And so all of us need to pray, loving Father, please give us. And then secondly, there's something wonderfully content in how Jesus encourages us to pray that prayer. It's a prayer full of trust for what we cannot hoard. Jesus doesn't simply want us to acknowledge our dependence on God's grace. He wants us to depend on that grace day by day. Some of those people listening to him teach would have had barely a bean in the cupboards. Others would have enough set aside in the bank to feed them for a whole year. But who is it that most needs to pray this prayer? He gave it to all of them, didn't he, rich and poor? Because the truth is, we are in exactly the same boat, no matter how much we have set aside. It's actually us who are rich who are most in danger of forgetting how much we depend on him. If God took his blessing away from it, says Calvin, the corn in our cupboards would lose all its natural power to sustain us. We'd famish in the midst of plenty. We still need him, even with full cupboards. And so Jesus calls us every day to make this prayer our own. Give us this day our daily bread, because we cannot hoard God's goodness. Jesus wants each of us to trust our Father every single day. And I think that will mean three things. First, it will mean that we ask expectantly because we trust his love every day. What does it teach us about God, do you think, that our tummies are at the heart of the prayer that is right at the heart of the Christian life, our tummies? It shows us that he cares, doesn't it, for physical things. He cares about our material needs, our bodies. Yes, it's true that God's glory comes first in this prayer. It's thy before my. We aren't materialists. Eternal things matter far, far more. But there's a ditch on both sides of the road, isn't there? Some Christians have been very quick to spiritualize this request as if we must be asking for some sort of spiritual bread all the time. Erasmus, the great scholar, thought it was totally beneath God for us to come into his presence demanding literal food. But that misses who he is to us. 
If we think God turns up his nose at taking care of our coughs and our colds and our empty tummies, well, what sort of a father do we think he is? Of course, God often uses physical things to teach us spiritual truths, doesn't he? Think of Jesus and the feeding miracles. Yes, ultimately, those were teaching us that Jesus is the good shepherd who will care for his people for all eternity. But those pictures work because he actually loved and cared for his people then and there. The very fact that God cares, even for the little ordinary things, means we can trust him for the big things. Calvin said it's as if God's children get to climb little baby steps from earthly lessons to heavenly lessons. We taste God's kindness and gentleness now, and it raises our confidence higher and higher. So yes, Jesus puts material things in their box below God's glory, under God's providence. But at the same time, God's kindness reaches down even to the most ordinary things in our lives, the things that we can almost be embarrassed to pray for. An infinite God goes all the way down as well as all the way up. He loves you. He won't give you a stone when you ask for bread. So pray expectantly. And then secondly, receive, thankfully, because he can trust his wisdom. We're trusting God in this prayer to treat us like a father who loves us and knows best. And that means that once we've acknowledged our dependence on him and we've asked him to provide for us, we've got to trust what he chooses to give us. A good father sometimes keeps things from his children as well as give them to them. And we're asking God to do both of those here. Look up at the context again in verse 8. Religious man tends to barrage God with long, wordy, demanding prayers because we don't really trust that our father knows what we truly need. There are things I want even things I think I need, that in truth would be terrible for me to have. But Jesus' prayer here isn't for everything I could possibly want. No, Jesus' prayer is for my daily bread. Now, that word daily is famously tricky to translate because the Lord's Prayer is the only time it ever appears. Most scholars take it to mean either some variation on the food we need for one day or the basic essentials we need for life. So either way, though, the meaning is pretty clear, isn't it? Bread is hardly an extravagance. And we're meant to ask for it this day, every day. Father, please give me just enough for today. I guess the big reveal comes when we don't think that what he's chosen to give us today is really enough for us. That's the test, isn't it? We're a family that gets very, very grumpy when we're hungry. I don't know if hangriness is a problem for you, but it's a big problem for us. And there's nothing that shows up what's really in your heart quite so well as hangriness. All the usual niceties go right out the window, don't they? You resent the whole world when you're hungry because your tummy wants something and the world hasn't given it to you. 
I wonder if we can be a little like that with God. He hasn't given us the life we imagined or the partner we longed for or the children we dreamed of or the wealth we expected. And that's precisely when we discover whether we really trust his wisdom and love. Did we pray this prayer without actually being willing for him to answer the way a wise father should? Perhaps we never feel like we've quite got enough set aside, not as much as we think we'll need, and so we start to resent him. We hoard what we have like a dragon, terrified that someone will steal its gold. But if we live like that, it will never be enough. God has built us as one day at a time creatures. And that means that no matter how much we have set aside, we will always need to live hand to mouth, trusting him. Think of the Israelites in the wilderness. God fed them with more food than they could possibly eat. Sugary wafers literally falling from the sky. They'd wake up and it was as if Someone had got the munchies overnight and spilled crunchy nut cornflakes all over the desert. Plentiful, luxurious even. Every single day for 40 years without fail. But only and ever enough for one day at a time. Extravagant enoughness. And because people didn't really trust him, there was always the temptation to grumble or to hoard it. But the moment people tried, what happened? It turned to maggots, didn't it? You see, God's grace is always sufficient, always generous, but it always stays grace for today. We can't go one day in God's world without acknowledging again our dependency on him, confessing, committing, trusting. Every single day, we need to come to him again. And every single day, without fail, his goodness and love is enough. Receive, thankfully, whatever it is he's chosen to give in his providence, because God has made us as one day at a time kinds of creatures. And we can be content with that wisdom. Yesterday, is totally beyond our power to fix. Only the cross can do that. Tomorrow is beyond our power to control. Only our Father knows what it will bring or when our time is up. We can pencil in our plans and live wisely, but he's forbidden us from worrying about it because tomorrow doesn't belong to us. Today, he puts responsibility in our hands and asks us to trust him again and to live it for him. And that is about all we're meant to be able to cope with. Ask for enough for this day and receive it thankfully. And then finally, share joyfully because we can trust his generosity. If we really believe that he is the father we say he is, then we can afford to loosen our grip on what we have, can't we? How do you honor a father like this? A father who is so generous that he cares even over the little material needs of his family while you do the same. 
We care about the ordinary bodily needs of one another. And that's why, like everything else in the Lord's Prayer, this one isn't a me request. It's an us. Give us. Ultimately, as Christian people, we eat around one table, don't we? And that is meant to mean something. So when we're asking God for our daily bread, we're asking him for bread to share and for hearts that will share what he's given us joyfully, hands that will let go. Sometimes it's so hard, isn't it? But we trust that our Father is generous and he always has more to give. So if we seek first his kingdom, he can take care of everything else. We don't need to hoard God's gifts are for spending, not burying. And just as we can't ask him for forgiveness when you're not willing to forgive, you can't ask your father for bread with a heart that is closed off to a brother or sister with nothing. It doesn't work. Whether that is a Christian in northern Nigeria without a Bible they can read in their own language, or a Christian in northern India without rice they can eat, or a Christian in North Edinburgh without a friend they can talk to. What a wonderful thing it would be to die without a penny to your name and yet a big, round, contented belly and a testimony that said, God took care of me and my children and my church every day. Not because I earned it. In fact, I couldn't have deserved it less but because his love for his children in Jesus Christ is more extravagantly enough than you will ever believe until you try it and lean on his grace. Well, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, most wise, most generous, most kind, and most just, Thank you that you are a father we can trust to take care of your children. Help us, Lord, to trust you enough to sustain these bodies of ours with all they truly need and to depend on you for that day by day and to be content with what you choose to give us. Give us all today all that we need to live well for the Father we love. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.